Thank you, Becca, for that song that you sung for us this morning. This is using the gifts that God has given you, and we praise God for um, the fact that you have shared this with us this morning. Uh, I want to begin by saying uh, things have really changed since I was here last time. <laughs> uh, it was a wonderful surprise for me to drive in on your parking lot. I'd heard you'd started, but I had no idea you were this far along. So I uh, want to congratulate you and uh, say that I wish you God's richest blessings as you uh, prepare for this day when you're going to move into a new sanctuary. That's going to be a, a wonderful, glorious day for you as the people of God. Uh, the text which serves as the basis for my meditation this morning is the gospel that was read for you this morning, the story of uh, Jesus' visit to uh, the city of Sychar and Jacob's well. Uh, now, several years ago, I visited that area and had a chance to drink from that well. And uh, that was quite an experience. If you ever have a chance to go to the Holy Land, let me encourage you to do that. Uh, the scriptures and the stories that come in the uh, Gospels become so much more meaningful when you can visualize a place and uh, the area that's described in the Gospels. Now, Jesus and his disciples had uh, chosen this route. It was the most direct route, north to Galilee. And uh, the introductory verses to this text, uh, which were not read, give us the uh, idea that uh, one of the reasons Jesus maybe was moving on from south in Judea up into Galilee was that the uh, rumors had been going around that Jesus was baptizing more, or his disciples, I should say, were baptizing more disciples than John was. And so some wonder if perhaps he wanted to avoid this uh, uh, rumor and uh, not embarrass his cousin John. But uh, it's also possible that Jesus wanted to avoid a premature uh, confrontation with the Pharisees so early in his ministry. And uh, they too had heard what Jesus was doing and the success he was having, and there were rumblings of discontent that must have reached Jesus. Well, whatever the reason, they're heading north into Samaria. And what makes this decision one of importance and interest is that a good Jew of Jesus' day would be inclined to avoid this region. The problem with Samaria was the people who lived there. They were a mixture of um, Jewish people and Arab. And so they had a lot of mixed marriages. And um, they were not pure Jews by heredity. And uh, they had become ethnically mixed because of those uh, marriages. They were not faithfully practicing the Jewish religion or the Hebrew religion. And uh, that is what made them ritually impure as far as a Jew was concerned and why the Jew was instructed to avoid them uh, when possible. Uh, yet it was into and through the land of Samaria that Jesus now takes his disciples and we kind of wonder if, G if the disciples might have questioned Jesus why he chose to go through this 
uh, part, seedy part of the country. At any rate, they came to the heart of uh, this region of Samaria and had reached the town in a city called Sychar, where that you found this famous Jacob's well. And apparently it had been a tough trip, and Jesus, uh, being, uh, I can't say he was older than his disciples, but you kind of wonder, but he was tired. The the scriptures are very specific, said he was tired, and Jesus had decided that when he sent the disciples into the city to get food, that he would remain there at the well by himself. And while he is there, this Samaritan woman comes to draw water. Uh, Already we have some clues as to the nature of this woman's uh, place in the community. The fact that she comes alone in the heat of the day tells us something about her. Uh, This was not the custom for other women of the city. Uh, who, in fact, by tradition, would come in the cool of the evening. And uh, it was usually a time for a lot of gossip and sharing what was going on, and uh, so it was always a big thing. So the woman in our story, we can immediately tell, must have been unwanted, unwelcome, and an outcast. Now, what we hear described by the Gospel writer John is what makes the Gospel such good news. Such wonderful news to every human heart. Jesus' first words to this woman with such a messed up life are not words of condemnation or judgment. He doesn't begin with a spiritual checkoff list or a command that she must change. He treats her with respectability and dignity as a person of worth, something she had not known or experienced Uh, for a long time. She can scarcely believe her her, her own ears. She is so startled by it that she asks, how is it you, a Jew, ask me of me, a a woman of Samaria, for a drink of water? Now this is an important question that begs an answer. What is it that defines a person's life? What are the factors which have played such an important role in determining who we are uh, and what we have become as persons? Are there not many, many determining factors over which we have no direct control or any choice in the matter? Our genetic makeup, uh, our families into which we were born, the ethnic or social group of our heritage, And what have been the hurts and the traumas of early childhood that have affected our choices? But what is important in all of this is that our Lord knows all things. He looks past and beyond all of those things and sees what is deeply precious to him, a person of infinite worth. He loves and treasures every individual person with a deep and never failing love. Do you hear or did you hear his words of promise to her? Woman, if you only knew how much God has to give and how much he wants to give it and who I am for you, all you would have to do is ask 
and I will give you water to give you life. And if you have it, you will be satisfied forever, because this water will be inside you, a never-ending source of the power of life. So what a promise this woman heard. And it is given to someone who is not even pious or even good. Do you begin to see what God is like? He's bound and determined to give himself for no other reason than that we need him. God is willing to give all his good gifts just for the asking. Now, while Jesus looks past all these multiple ingredients that have somehow been a part of her life, and some of those things that have shaped us as persons, in order that he might affirm our value as persons, it doesn't mean that he ignores these sins entirely. After a word of promise, he speaks a very personal word to her when he asks her, uh, where is your husband? And uh, she really had something going up to because she had not only one husband, she had had five husbands. And uh, so we know she had a lot to own up to. And so we might ask, is God like this? Does God get this personal with us? Forcing us to see what really is inside us and face the mess we fear about ourselves, but don't want to talk about it? Surely God wouldn't want to get that honest or intimate with us, we would like to think. Can you imagine how she felt? Very helpless and undone. But that is how God is with us. His love and his spirit begin to work in our lives and so we begin to become uneasy because his word comes straight like a bright light into our lives and forces a kind of honesty that recognizes these things which need to be changed. Uh, have you ever come home late at night uh, and didn't turn the lights on at first when you came into the room. And uh, there's still enough light so that you can look around a little bit and uh, everything looks pretty neat and in its place. But then you turn on the light and you begin to see everything that's uh, in that room. The dust on the bookshelves, the magazines and the newspapers scattered here and there, drinking glasses and dishes still in the sink, and you probably say, yuck, I'll wait and take care of that in the morning. And you turn off the light and go back to bed saying that's what you'll do. But Jesus gets personal. That is what makes him our true Lord. For many of us, our ideas about our weaknesses, problems, and sins are pretty conveniently hazy and general. But when the living Lord zeroes in and touches us in those vulnerable places, those spots we try to keep hidden, even from ourselves, jealousies, deceitfulness, egos that insist on their own way, self-centeredness, greed, perhaps even betrayals, fractured relationships, like a doctor who cares very much for his patient. He examines and probes until he reaches the tender spot and he says to us, this is what is keeping or is in the way of your spiritual health and wholeness. Let me ask you another question. 
how many of you in your lifetime have moved from an older home into a new home? Uh, or at least uh, fairly new. Uh, the first one was very small and inadequate, but the new one is larger and uh, perhaps even, as I say, a brand new house. Did you bring all your old furniture with you into the new place? You might have, but most of us, I think, would try to go out and buy some new furniture to go in a new house that would fit the new decor. Um, and when you did that, there were still one or two pieces of that old furniture that were you just loved. Uh, it might be an old rocking chair or it might be a lazy boy or whatever it is, something that had become very special to you. And you ended up bringing it into the cozy den of yours, but lo and behold, you began to realize it didn't fit. And that's the way it is with God's Spirit as he begins to work in our life. Uh, we begin to realize that there are some ways of living, some values that we might have had that no longer belong. That's the way it is when we begin to live our lives under the Lordship of Christ. Some of the old favorite ways of living and thinking no longer belong. And we find that we are empowered to let them go for something new. God's love and spirit insists on a cure for what really ails us rather than what we may think is our problem. What ails us is that we really thirst for God himself, although we probably don't even recognize it or know it. This woman wasn't looking for God. She didn't know she needed him, but he found her. That, too, is part of the gospel. We have a Lord who does not wait for us to come searching for him. He is a Lord who comes searching uh, to find us to our absolute marvel and surprise. Jesus had more to say to this Samaritan woman. For a moment, she tries to change the subject and re redirect the conversation. She raises a religious question. What is the right place to worship? Is it at your place or at mine? And if I get my religious practices straight, at least this is the way her thinking goes. Um, if I get this straight, uh, then uh, I, I, I'll be all right. I got my pages mixed up here. <laughs> and uh, then all will be well and problems will be solved. She asks a religious question, what should I do? And then she gets a surprising answer. Jesus said, that's neither here nor there. The question is not what you should do, but who God is. That's the important thing for every believer. What really counts is that you know him and who he is, that he is the God of the present moment who breaks into that present claiming you for himself, and that time is now. The place is here, and the place where God is always. The issue is that every moment and every place is filled with the reality of God, reaching out to touch us where we are, and to gather us in and to make us well, and to, for us to get going for the sake of his kingdom. The time for God to touch you 
is always now. Not some future time, but now. Wherever you are, and now is always the living water time. May God bless you as you hear these words. Amen.